0: You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Dive right into it this morning. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're calling it Plain Talk, and we've been talking about uh, portions of Jesus' most famous message. And I want to take a little bit of a step back for a moment to give you, because it is a message. It's a sermon, right? They call it the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, Jesus didn't just get up there and just start talking. I mean, he... He has structured this thing so that, we would, that people would get the message. So if you were to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you could kind of step back and analyze it and go, "What? how did he organize this thing? How did he organize this talk? Because I want to give you a little bit of perspective, and then we're going to zoom in on one area. So the theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is really simple the theme of it, the key message he's trying to get across is that life in the kingdom of God, life under the rule and reign of God is available right here and right now to everybody. Okay, that's the general message. And if you rely on Jesus, that's the big if, okay? If you rely on Christ, that kingdom life becomes possible right here, right now. Not when you die and not just when you die. Because we have this sort of mentality, I think, uh, and it's not a bad thought, but sometimes it can, get, it can become the only thought. This mentality that kingdom of God is heaven, and so I don't get to experience that until I die. But the, the truth of the matter, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's, this is even before he's died on the cross, folks. And he says, the kingdom of God is available right here right now, through me. And so uh, he begins, and he, the first thing he talks about, the first segment of the Sermon on the Mount is about grace. He pronounces kingdom blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted, and all of that. All the struggling, hurting, broken people th- to these kinds of folks now, The kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God has been made open and available, and you can live the blessed life of the kingdom. And then, that's chapter 5, verse 1 through 16, and then in verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus starts to then talk about, he actually redefines what goodness really is. He redefines the good life in terms of true goodness beginning in the heart and being motivated by the love of God. This is where you hear things like love your enemies, right? This is where you hear things like turn the other cheek. And all of these demands that we look at as demands, Jesus is just painting a picture of what real goodness is like. And he addresses these dip, these very common issues like um, unresolved anger and lust and jealousy and vengeance and hatred and all these things that Jesus in this section says these are heart issues all right so deal with the heart that's where true goodness comes and then to kind of round off the message he tells us and warns us about practices and attitudes that will keep us from living from the kingdom of God that living in the kingdom of God. He basically puts these guardrails and says, listen, here's what true goodness is like, but if you continue to practice these things, you're not going to be living the life, you're not going to be experiencing that goodness in your life, all right? So that's, in general, kind of the structure of the message of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to focus in on the guardrails today, because in Matthew 6 and 7, Jesus addresses some of these attitudes that keep us from full experience in kingdom life. And uh, we're going to start with the passage in Matthew 6, 25. And I want to read it, and then you'll get an idea of where we're headed today. It says, there, so Jesus says, therefore, say therefore. therefore. All right, so we're going to go back to that. Just remember, that's an important word right here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Food's pretty important, isn't it? <laughs> for most of us who come from cultures that celebrate around food. And the body is more important than clothes. As look at the birds of the air. Don't they, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus is addressing this concern on the inside of us that says, does God really care for me? You know, does he really care for the basic needs of my life? And Jesus said, yeah, absolutely, because you are more valuable than even the birds. So he, goes, so he goes, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? A rhetorical question. What? None of you, just by worrying, can add to your life? So he says, why do you worry about clothes? Right? All of you who love to shop. He See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Right? They're not online trying to decide which style is best, right? You see, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we post on social media today? For the pagans run after all these things. The world around you, the culture around you, has its own way of figuring out how to control its life and provide for itself. He says, but your heavenly Father knows you have all these needs. Instead of worrying about all that, worry about this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And then Jesus rounds it off by saying, therefore. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So I want to talk with you today about and address the question of why in the world are we so anxious? Nowadays, worry is more than just like a light concern over something. We all have like concerns and things that stress us out from time to time. But nowadays, especially in today's like American society, uh, worry and anxiety has become a sickness. Listen to this quote from a leading psychologist blogging. She says, "Everyone reading this is familiar with anxiety. It's part of the human condition. We're fragile. We're mortal, and we know it. Loss is inevitable." But occasional existential anxiety does not compare with what she calls today's galloping epidemic of anxiety. Anxiety disorder affects some 40 million adult Americans. And watch this. For every person with a diagnosed disorder, there are so many more who struggle with some of anxiety's symptoms. See if you can check off this list. Sleep problems. Worries that won't cease. Fear and uneasiness, shortness of breath, right? All signs of anxiousness. So, why are we so anxious? You could cite any number of sociological analyses of modern life, and you could see many reasons why we might be anxious. The pace and pressures of this world and society have increased. The cost of living, don't even talk to me right now, Pastor, about money. I'm so stressed out, I don't even know where it's gonna come from. For my next, for paying my bills this month, right? The breakdown of family, man, that's huge, right? Uh, And and all the different things, the general like alienation that people feel in our society. They're walking around in a crowd, but they feel all alone. Something's wrong. With that picture. And you can say, man, all of these things add to why we're so anxious nowadays. So it's refreshing to take a look at Jesus's words, because in this passage, Jesus helps us understand some of the sources of our anxiety. And he goes back to this verse where he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. So whenever you see a word therefore, especially in Jesus's, uh, teachings. You have to ask yourself, what is the word therefore? Therefore. Like what? Why is it there? Because whatever comes after the therefore is the logical conclusion of whatever was stated before. And so Jesus is saying, He's not just saying, hey, you know, don't worry as a way of pacifying us. He's saying, he, he's saying, I've already told you the source of your anxiety, therefore don't worry. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few steps back into, some, into several verses right before this verse, and we're going to look at some of the sources of our anxiety. Because, see, it's one thing for me to tell you, or for anybody to tell you, stop worrying. Don't you hate that? It's like, why would you tell me that? Like, you don't understand the pressures I'm under. Like, you I get it. I get it. So how many of you know that it's, it's really hard when you hear God say, stop worrying, to just sort of flip a switch and stop? You know why? Is because the reason why we're worried, and by the way, Jesus is not talking just about, you know, you know, I'm concerned about things here and there in life. This is, Lord, like a, this has become kind of the norm of my life to be anxious, You didn't get like that overnight, I guarantee you. Like, you structured your life and your thought patterns in a certain way that created an environment in your soul, you see, where anxiety just became the norm. And so you may not even know you're anxious. So Jesus, before he says, therefore, do not worry about your life, he tells us, you got to address some issues first. And he, he goes right back to this. And by the way, before we see this, look at this. When he says do not worry, the word worry there is the word uh, "merimnao," And the root of that word means to divide into parts. To be distracted or preoccupied in a way that your life is sort of going in different directions all at once it's being split up into different pieces that's kind of the root word there so keep that in mind because it becomes important when when jesus says you know don't worry about anything he's he's talking about having a, a, a sense of life with him where it feels put together it's not going in different directions it's not divided up and that's interesting because that's exactly what our society trains us how to do to compartmentalize all of life. And there's some value to it, I get it, to be able to manage it all. But when, when we're not integrated and life is lived in all kinds of different compartments, it's a seedbed for anxiety. All right, so Jesus goes back to a few, ver- go back a few verses, and he starts to address some of the reasons why we're anxious and why we're worried and why we're divided And the first one he addresses, I'm going to call it uh, a problem of investment, all right? He says in in Matthew 6, 19, okay, this is right before the verses that we just read. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the first source of anxiety in our lives has to do with the kind of treasures we're investing in. Jesus uses a metaphor here, it's a financial metaphor, but it's built around this idea of treasuring and considering the things that you value the most. Treasures are things that you keep and you store in safe places because you deem them important and valuable, and it's in our nature, it's the nature of the human soul to value things. And the interesting thing about that is like something that's valuable to you might not be valuable to the the next person, right? One man's treasure is another man's trash, right? It's interesting how that works out. So you get to kind of choose what you treasure the most. But here's where it can go wrong. When we treasure things that are outside and apart from the kingdom of God, and the life of the kingdom, then we're actually eventually going to lose that investment. But when we treasure God himself and his kingdom, then the things that emerge out of that will never be lost. They've got eternal value. Many of you know that Billy Graham passed away this past week. And, you know, it's just amazing to watch this man who's lived his life, with the kind of integrity he lived, preaching the gospel. And I, I bet you that, you know, we all, we kind of put him on a pedestal in some ways and go, wow, that's amazing. But, you know, he invested his life in things eternal because he invested his life in people, right? Things eternal, the things that will last beyond this life. And his legacy and his, you know, the impact of all that he's done is going is to live on way beyond him. This is what we're called to do. We're called to look at our lives and say, and ask ourselves, what is it that I treasure? And do those things that I treasure line up with God's kingdom value system? Am I investing my life in the things that will last beyond me? But we live in the modern age, or post-modern age, some would argue. And there's another take on this. Because sometimes our values don't align with the word of God. And and in this sense, sometimes, watch, we invest our mental energy in thinking way too much about what others value. And what others think about us. Instead of believing and valuing and treasuring most what God thinks about us. So... Listen, if you go around believing everything they say online about you, everything they're posting on, you know, social media about you and your life, man, you can get real anxious real quick. Am I right? So, it's important to believe people, you know, to listen to people's opinion, to listen, you know, respectfully to people's feedback and, and all that. But listen, if you give more weight to the opinion of other people, the opinion, listen, of the whole world, okay, which is right there in front of you on a screen, if you give more weight to that than instead of God's opinion, then you're in trouble of being and becoming way too anxious. What people think about you, folks, is going to change constantly. One minute, they're for you. The next minute, they're against you they might even say they're for you and then turn around and tell other people they're against you. Right? Have you read those feeds? Of course you have. (laughs) And if you invest your time and mental energy in all of that, you're storing up treasure in a place where it's just going to crumble in your hands. That's why some of you are so anxious. Because you care too much about what other people think. And so... You need to get your heart and mind around what God really thinks about you and your situation. Because when it's all said and done, that's all that really matters. Tell the person next to you, that's all that matters. Now, some people will agree with that. Some people might take you to task with that, you know. But if you wrap your life around what God thinks, that's all that really matters. I mean, just think about it. Most of you, most of the things you worry about when you put your head on the pillow at night, most of that stuff, God is already working out. So why are you spending a bunch of negative mental energy thinking about what's going to be this and what do I do this and that? Stop worrying about it because you could take the time you've invested in worrying about something that God is working out and you could turn the worry time into worship time. Isn't that better? Stop worrying about it and start worshiping God that he's already working it out. And if he's not working it out, then it's something you need to drop because in the larger plan of God, it really didn't matter in the first place. (laughs) Some of the things you're worried about, you're trying to work it all out. God says, no, it doesn't matter, so I'm not wasting my time working that out for you. So you need to discern it and go, okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. You don't understand, Pastor, you don't understand what they said about me. On Facebook. You don't know the nasty stuff they said behind my back. You don't know that they cheated. You you don't realize that they tried to manipulate me and use me for their own ends. Yeah, maybe that's true, but listen, does that really thwart the purpose of God in your life? Does it really make a difference what they said about you if it's not true? Oh, of course not. It doesn't change God's purpose. It doesn't change God's plans. Whose plans matter most? Their plans to criticize you and make you look bad? Or God's plans to prosper you and to bless you and to align you with his purpose for his plans in, lo- in, in your life? You see, you're worried about really nothing. So make sure that you give weight to what really matters. Make sure you treasure more what God thinks than what other people think about you. Now, you get, okay, don't don't come to me and say, Pastor, I don't really care what my parents think. I'm going to believe what God thinks. Use some wisdom there, all right? You know what I'm talking about. We need to value the opinion of those who love and care for us most because God might be speaking through them. Come on. I'm giving the healthy balance here, all (laughs) right? But if you live your life where your internal value system is built on what everyone else is saying, you will lose your compass. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to say, God, what is it you think about this situation in my life? This is all about Christian maturity. This is how you grow in Christ. You learn to hear God for yourself. You don't live off the faith of the pastor. You don't live off the faith of whatever televangelist you're watching from and getting blessed by. You don't live off the faith of your parent. You see, ultimately the goal is to grow you up so you can become a healthy son and daughter of the living God who hears the Father and obeys His voice, just like Jesus. Say amen, pastor, I'm good with that. All right, okay, good, good. So this is a source of anxiety, isn't it? We invest our lives and our mental energy in the wrong things. And Jesus goes on to say, here's the next thing, you ready? We gotta watch this, we gotta watch this. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body would be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So here's how I want to say it. So when you're anxious, you might want to ask yourself, what am I taking in to my soul? What am I opening my soul up to? And taking in, okay, the eyes here are a metaphor for vision and focus and the things that we take into our soul environment. If your eye is healthy, you're taking in the right things, you're focused on the right things, then your vision will be clear and direction will eventually come. But if your eye is unhealthy, then you're taking in the wrong things, then your vision is going to be blurred and muddy. And the ultimate focus in life that you have, what you're focused on, your ultimate aim will determine whether you are living in the light of the will of God or whether you are living in the lostness of spiritual darkness. And see, Jesus then says, this is tricky, okay, because he says you can get so used to the darkness that you think that it's normal for you to be in that darkness. And you got to be careful. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You don't want to get to that point where the darkness just becomes, that's just how it is. And that's, if you're not careful, that's how society disciples us, with all the values that it's putting out. So, in other words, if you create a soul environment where all you do is take in the wrong things, then you're going to start wandering around in the dark, and the dark eventually will start to feel like the light. This is a concern, all right, because in the age, in the information age we live in, sometimes I wonder if it's not just about what you take in. Sometimes I wonder if just the sheer volume of what you're taking in is, is just not healthy. You know, the average American spends five hours a day watching TV. Yeah, that didn't surprise you, right? Like, ooh, man, I'm, I'm over the limit. <laughs> yeah. Well, watch this. Guess how many hours the average American spends looking at a screen? Half a day. 10 to 12 hours looking at a screen. It's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) It reminded me of this, well, my wife (laughs) the other night. Sometimes confession is bad for the reputation, but it's good. You need to hear it. Um, so this is my alarm clock, right? And when I think of this as my alarm clock, it becomes an excuse. I'm realizing that because the other night I was on my phone. We were, my wife and I were in bed. And in my mind, this is just the normal routine. Uh, let's just check what's going on, you know, who's on Instagram, and oh, oh, yeah. You know, in my mind, my excuse is I'm, a, I'm just trying to, you know, see how the congregation's doing. <laughs> how are you all doing, you know? Facebook, Instagram. Oh, honey, cook. Look, this is great. This is wonderful. Yeah. Ooh, look at that. Wow, what's that? Who? news. Oh, awesome. Yeah, all the latest gossip, you know, all the stuff that's true, untrue. What's going on in the world? And all of a sudden, you know, shopping. Yeah, Let's shop too, you know. <laughs> and my wife said to me this past week, she goes, you know what? Like, I think you're spending way too much time on the phone. I'm like, no, this is my normal. Re-. And inside, I'm like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized, when I was spending time with the Lord, like, you know what? That was God. That was God trying to tell me to. <laughs> but, by the way, by the way, I have, like, there's this really cool feature on, on the iPhones. Okay, so anybody who, every, all of you have the iPhone, right? This feature, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> this feature will increase your peace. It's designed to reduce stress. And increase your peace in life, right? I'm going to show it to you because, you know, this is really what the message is about, right? You take your iPhone and you find the home, the, uh, the side button. Uh, in the iPhone 7, it's this button. And you go like this. And then you take your finger and you go boom. And, and it doesn't work anymore. It's been scientifically proven, folks, that we are addicted to poking a screen. Like, every time you like something on Facebook, like, 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 every time you emoji it or text it, you know, whatever, you, you poke it, there's like, in your brain, there's this release of dopamine. Dopamine is the the pleasure chemical in your brain that makes you feel good. And there's a little of dopamine. It's the same thing that happens when you do drugs. All of you who used to do drugs and all that, hopefully you're not doing that anymore. But it's the same thing. Anything when we experience pleasure in life, dopamine. This is the scientific read. Dopamine. Oh, like And then then dopamine the other way, when we look at our feed and we see a bunch of people liking us, and we're like, oh, oh, I feel like I'm in heaven. (laughs) You're addicted to poking. Listen, it wasn't meant to be this way. The sheer volume of everything you're taking in On a device like this and devices like it is overwhelming. It was never intended, we were never intended to have the weight and the information of the whole world and all the criticism and all this negative and positive stuff that's going on in the world at our disposal in our back pocket. And every time something happens, oh, what happened? Oh, oh! I feel so good today. How are you doing? I feel great. Yeah, because you've been poking for the last 15 minutes. While we're listening to the sermon, you're poking. <laughs> I can do that because I've been here forever, all right? And, and everyone y'all, trust me, so I can't, you know, no one else can say that. I can only, only I can say that. <laughs> but man, you'll be shocked at how low your cortisol level will go when you just, turn it off. I'm not saying it's bad, all right, but I'm telling you, everything you're taking in could be a source of the deep anxiety that you might be feeling because it's distracting to tell you the truth. It's distracting. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't worry. Worry is your mind is divided. It's going many different places all at once. And we call it multitasking. And we say, this is good. You should be able to do this well. And we were never designed to live like that. So, no wonder, no wonder you can't focus. No, no wonder you pray for peace and you don't feel peace Because there's no place in your brain for God to put peace. Because it's full of the feed of the whole world in your back pocket. So listen. So listen. If you want the peace of God, don't just pray for it. Make space for it. That goes for anything. Like, if you want the joy of God, any of God's character and nature to be built in you, you got to make room for it. And sometimes we're giving ourselves way too much to, like, the intake levels on our lives when it comes to this stuff is so high. And you got to dial it down from time to time. For some of you, you got to dial it down more than once or twice a day. So I went online. <laughs> I went online the other night. And I said, I can't, I don't know, I don't know what to do. This is my alarm clock. Then the thought occurred to me: why don't you just go buy a $10 alarm clock? (laughs) So I went, I went on Amazon. (laughs) It's gonna be in the mail in two days. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go old school. I'm going to go, I'm going to put my phone, I'm, I'm telling this, this is accountability with me and you, all right, so don't tell my wife I told you because, you know, and I'm going to put my phone downstairs and I'm going to put an alarm clock in my bed, near my bed. Some of you, it's not, it's not about that, right? Some of you may need to, listen, this is Lent, by the way, we're in the season of Lent and And some of you grew up in traditions where you got to practice like fasting from something. And so, what do we fast from? Meat, right? We all we all fast from meat, especially on that day, on that Holy Week, which is coming up. And by the way, I can't do that anymore because I just don't eat meat anymore. I got to fast from something else. Well, maybe you shouldn't fast from food. Maybe you need to fast from social media. Maybe you need to fast. Maybe you just need to turn this off, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because because the generation today, especially all you millennials in the room. Your generation is addicted to this stuff. The, the biblical word for addiction in the Old Testament is idolatry. Jesus' word for it is right here. Merimnao. worry, sickness. You're divided in your minds, and when your minds are divided, eventually your heart will follow. So... For some of you, okay, one more. I just got to say this because I've been wanting to say this. For some of you, this has gotten so bad that you've got the spirit of FOMO. Fear of missing out. FOMO. (laughs) From the Urban Dictionary, FOMO. What, I gotta I got check it. I gotta know. I'll probably be missing out. What am I missing out on? FOMO. I'm here today to cast out the demon of FOMO. <laughs> Everyone who wants to be delivered, raise your hand. Come on. We're g- <laughs> the- you, you, you don't need to worry. Because when your life is aligned with the purposes of God and his kingdom, he'll make sure that what you need to know and when you need to know it will be there. Okay? You're too anxious. You're imagining situations in your head that have not even happened. You're working it all out on your own. And some of you, you're just afraid that you're going to miss out on something. Let me tell you something. If you just stop doing this, you, when you're doing this, you're distracted from what you're really missing out on, like your kids, like your marriage. Uh-oh. I don't preach today. This is distracting. You think you're FOMO, you're, this is the solution to your fear of missing out? No, you already doing this, you're missing out on the stuff you shouldn't be missing out on. Come on. So say, turn to your spouse and say, I'm so sorry, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I can see, I see a picture right now, and this is, like, I'm not, no condemnation, okay, because, like, this is where we're at, too, like, me me and my wife in our bed. What's the schedule for next week, honey? Oh, I don't know, honey. (laughs) That's you, too, right? Come on. Thank you, I'm not the only one. Shut out the BuzzFeed. Be still. I had a moment with my wife this morning. I know I shouldn't be sharing this, but <laughs> I sat up in my bed this morning. And um, we're doing EHR. So EHR, you do, you, know, you do daily silence with the Lord. I sat up, and you know, she knows when I sit up and I'm just closing my eyes, she knows that's my silent moment with the Lord and then she cuddled up right next to me, and we had silence together with Jesus. And uh, that's creating space in your soul for the peace of God. Try it sometime. Okay, we need to move on. Watch this. Sometimes the anxiety we're dealing with has to do with a compromise we've made in our life. Sometimes the source of our anxiety has to do with the fact that we've compromised our integrity somewhere in our soul. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. You cannot serve both God and money Mammon is another translation. Material possessions or wealth is another translation. Now, at first glance, you might look at that verse and say, you know what? Actually, uh, that's not accurate, Jesus, because I can serve two masters. I can work at two jobs and be accountable to two bosses. And I can actually like both of them. So what are you talking about? Jesus isn't talking about you holding down several jobs. He's not talking about multitasking your way through life. He's saying that there are some masters in your life that will demand ultimate allegiance of you. And you can't give ultimate allegiance to two different masters without it costing you something. There's a cost to trying to do two things that... At Serving two ultimate allegiances at once. It's going to cost you something. When you try to serve two masters, when you try to live your life splitting your allegiance between two ultimate masters or two different life sources, then you compromise the integrity of your life. That's, I think, what's underneath this. So, sure, 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 sure. You can try to serve God and the values of the world. You can try to serve God in the pursuit of worldly success and wealth. You can try to serve God and love God with all your heart and still try to make your image the most important thing to you. You can try to do it, and you might be able to manage that for a while, but underneath it all, you're compromising the integrity of your soul. So, yes, 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 you can be unfaithful to your spouse. You can two time your girlfriend or boyfriend. I knew friends in high school that three timed. It's possible. You can lie to your boss. You can lie to your customers for a while. But something in your soul is, con- and you know what it is? It's your trustworthiness, it's your credibility. It's, the, it's your word. People, you, there's no price tag on that, folks. Your believability, you see? So Jesus isn't just talking about, you know, I mean, he's talking, he's using material wealth here as an as a illustration. He's saying, yeah, Mike, you can make material wealth an idol, and that can, be this, that can create this compromise in your life if you idolize, if you make that your ultimate allegiance, and you try to do that along with God. He uses possessions as an illustration. But listen, this isn't just about idolizing material wealth, folks. This is about what idolizing anything other than God does to your life. Anytime you try to to fit another allegiance in with God, you compromise your integrity. Because integrity has to do with a quality of being the truest version of yourself. Being you, no matter where you go. The real you, no matter where you go. This is not to say that um, you shouldn't adjust your style to different situations, okay? This is not to say that you shouldn't uh, take a different approach in certain circumstances in life. What integrity means is that Fundamentally at the core, I'm not a different person at home than I am up here. I'm not a different person at work or at school or on Friday night at 7.30 p.m. than I am anywhere else. Fundamentally at the core, okay? This is the source of anxiety. You know why? Because many of us have created these different versions of us that we put out there for certain situations and when it's Friday night I have the Friday night version of me when it's Sunday morning I have the Sunday morning version of me (laughs) when you're at home with your spouse you have the uh, (laughs) the the homey, <laughs> the wifey, right? The, the, the home version of you. And, and the problem with that is if you, are, if you are putting out different versions of you all over the place and in different situations, that gets hard to manage. That gets hard to keep together. That gets hard to integrate. In fact... It takes so much energy to manage all that. Have you ever tried to be a certain version of you, and then in that situation, another version of you leaked out, and you went, oop, sorry, that wasn't really me, no, That was another false part of you just leaking out in in another situation where you thought that that version of you was supposed to be the real you. And all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know who I am. No wonder you're confused. No wonder you're anxious. I wonder if the true cure to anxiety is not Xanax. And by the way, I'm not knocking that because, listen, it's an epidemic in our society. And I understand the place of the medical community in healing some of this stuff. But I wonder if the cure for anxiety is integrity. You don't have to prop up the me that you pretend to be. I have, I've told you this before. God can't bless the version of you that you're pretending to be. He wants to bless the real you. And you know what that is? This is simple. How do, you, how do you get there? Because integrity really is the foundation. You know how you get there? For some of you who have been trying to manage all these ver- different versions of you, you get there by a simple, simply being, becoming brutally honest with where you are, brutally honest with yourself and with God. God, I've got so many versions of me spinning out there. And I'm done with that. Show me the way back to the me that you created me to be. And the beauty of that, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus says, I know you're broken. I know you are messed up. And some of you might want to use a stronger word for that. Some of you just need to say, I am so messed up right now, Pastor." Jesus comes to you and says, blessed are you for being honest about that. I can work with that. I can't work with the you that you pretend to be. In fact, what I'll do with that is I'll create situations in your life where that starts to break down. Thank God our false selves get exposed. Oh, thank you. Sometimes the quickest way to be humbled is to be humiliated. Come on. Anybody go through that? So save yourself. Save yourself a little bit of uh, pain, all you young people in the house. Be honest with the Lord about where you're at. I want to be the truest version of me, Jesus. Help me rebuild that. I love that. All right, I'm done. So let me leave you with this word of, word of wisdom. You ready? When you see a command in the Sermon on the Mount, like love your enemies, or like um, turn the other cheek, or like do not worry about your life, instead of looking at that command and saying, okay, God, how can I, how can I obey that command? Because you've already tried that. And just looking at your life, it doesn't work. Instead of doing that, let's get to what Jesus is really after. Ask yourself, how can I become the kind of person that would naturally, spontaneously, and with joy, obey Jesus like that? So the source of your anxiety is not that you just got anxious in the moment because of a stressful situation in life. You actually look back at how you're thinking about your life, how you're viewing the world, how you've set up and structured your internal mindset and go, Jesus, how can I readjust all that so that anxiety doesn't become even an option? That when it starts to tempt me, instead, I will just naturally say, okay, Lord, I know anxiety has come, but you know what? I can trust you. And it happens naturally and spontaneously and with great. Joy. That's how we were intended to live in the kingdom of Jesus. It's possible. It's po- tell the person next to you, it's possible. In Jesus, it's possible. Hallelujah. Close your eyes and bow your heads.